Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, probably the only podcast that this week received submissions about both a really cool black metal band and also a product to help you get the perfect shave on your scrotum, which was an interesting morning when I got those two emails almost back to back. Was that Manscaped? No. Oh, it might have been, actually. So I keep seeing them everywhere. <laughs> it might have been. It was It was something... It did have a funny name, so that sounds familiar. There was... There was uh, it was some kind of... There was a pun on balls in there somewhere, I know. Um, oh, no, it was called something called the Hedge Trimmer. There they were, whatever it was, uh. it's work. They've just got free advertising. It was called the Hedge Trimmer. <laughs> That's what made me laugh. But enough about bollocks, because we'll be talking plenty of that later. Because this is episode 25 of Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast. Here with, we promise, a much more cheerful show than episode 24. Um, although, thank you to everyone who was so nice in response to that. We had so many lovely messages i kind of lost track i am tom dare and with me is the man who this week was really worried he was planning to bring on something so ridiculous we'd fall out only to find out i'm on record saying nice things about them dating all the way back to when gordon brown was prime minister and no one over the age of 25 knew what gent was matt rushton how rack are you doing i can't believe that you like that i i mean i was pissed but I mean, are we naming them? Yeah, we yeah, because yeah, people would, <laughs> most people probably have guessed from me saying Rakataka. There is a yeah, yeah. um acapella metal band called Van Canto, an acapella power metal band called Van Canto, who I really like and who Matt mm. heard their cover of was it Master of Puppets? It cover? was it was the cover of Master yeah. of Puppets, and I was literally just cry laughing the whole it, way through. Which I I heard years ago and thought was was kind of great, and then heard the album thinking it was going to be kind of shit, and when actually they've written some really good songs as well, as well as doing some absolutely <laughs> ridiculous covers, like the cover of was it was that cover of Into the West from the Lord yeah. of the Rings soundtrack that really, really, really was hilariously yeah. in an unintentional way, but I really enjoyed it. I did go down a bit of a rabbit hole. I like they, um, I've covered Holding Up for Hero as well, which is uh, quite something. I th- I'm pretty sure I saw them live and interviewed them at one stage. So, I, yeah, I'm completely on board with them. <laughs> Before we get started properly, though, this week, uh, we do have one little bit of housekeeping uh, for boring nine-to-five life reasons from next week we're not going to be able to record where we have been basically since we started and there's there's no way we're going to be able to get the pod out first thing on monday morning anymore like we have been we're sorry but one of us will get fired if we try it and the other one will go mad so it's just not possible our current plan is to try and get the pod out in time for western european listeners to try and well we're going to try and have it for your commute home so if you're listening in the uk or france or germany or wherever you should have that for your journey home if we can do it however that is quite a tight turnaround so i might fail if i can't and i can't do the the footling that needs to be done after we record to turn what we've witted on about into an actual podcast um, if i can't do that in time for that we are simply going to move the podcast to tuesday straight away and that would be permanent so keep an eye on our social media for updates if you don't see it appear on monday we may just be moving it or it might just be that your favorite podcast app is just being slow because that sometimes happens right waffle over we begin this week with an in my kingdom queer this is where we talk to someone from the lgbt plus community who makes metal happen about their experiences of our scene matt where do you stand in general terms on really dirty putrid doom i'm really very picky with it 
it's a lot of it just doesn't really do anything for me. It's a bit much. It's a bit abrasive in it. <laughs> I think I've said before that I'm also mega picky about it. What I like, I absolutely fucking love, but I tend to either get blown away by it or it's not really for me. It's very much kind of Marmite thing. So when I say that Body Void's new album, Bury Me Beneath This Rotting Earth, blew me away so dramatically that I was already working to set up this very In My Kingdom queer before the last track had finished. You know that I think it's sodding brilliant. Willow, the band's guitarist, is also a member of the LGBT plus community, which meant that I simply had to get them on the show. So here they are. Uh, my name is Willow Ryan. I am the guitarist and vocalist of Body Void in Hellish Form, and I am trans and queer. And what's your experience of being out within the scene? It's been, I'd, I'd say, like, mostly positive. I feel really fortunate. I, I kind of came out and started the band around the same time when I was living in uh, the Bay Area, which I feel like is just... I wouldn't say like the metals. The metal scene has a fair number of of queer people, and there and within kind of like the metal scene, there's kind of a subsection of like more queer music and and artists, which we 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 sort of were more part of the the metal scene, the kind of overarching extreme metal, but we we kind of flitted back and forth between those scenes and and it was a really positive experience because i think it felt really safe and even when it was in the kind of more metal leaning things which is mostly um you know straight straight people straight men mostly it was never like if if i wanted to present more femme on stage for instance, it was never an issue and, and no one kind of read it as out of the ordinary. At least no one kind of said anything. And there were there were a couple of times when like even we'd be playing a show and I'd go out on the street and kind of get a little bit of, you know, street harassment and then come back in and feel safe. So it was like this very stark reminder that the metal scene kind of felt like a safe, safer space for me to experiment with presentation and because it i was coming out and starting in a band like very it you know those two things are very woven together so overall um at least my local scene has been very positive and then i think the online metal scene is kind of where you see a more negative you have a more negative experience and i try to avoid that as much as possible i try to not read the comments <laughs> yeah. as it were yeah and uh and you i mean i know you've talked about it tons of just this culture of the comments being filled with people just kind of casually being homophobic or transphobic and just the laugh react the, the laugh react culture of just it, it, as soon as you mention anything vaguely queer there's going to be a ton of people on Facebook or wherever who kind of um, want to denigrate it. And it's frustrating, but the only thing I've really found to do is kind of ignore it and just be in my own space, be very loudly queer and unapologetic about it, I guess. 
Yeah. It's cool that you say that the metal scene has has made you feel safe. What are the things that... Are you able to put your finger on what people have been doing that have, have given you that that confidence that this is a safe space? That's a good question. Um, at least when I was in um, Oakland and San Francisco, mostly Oakland, it was just this sense of community. And it was very much based around um the music and kind of playing shows and and you meet everybody even if they're not musicians if they're just you know the bookers or or bar staff and um it's it's a it's a fairly diverse crew it's still very white it's still very straight it's still very male but it's there's enough women and people of color to make it feel like it isn't just a at least for for me as as a queer person like it doesn't feel overtly antagonistic and there's this and there was this sense of um calling out you know any homophobic or transphobic there i feel like that culture of just holding people accountable in the best way people know how i mean it's not it's never perfect and but that sense of like we need to be working actively to make this a better place for people of color for queer people for women is there i mean i think a lot of times that people will strive for that and fail but i think just the attempt is something and uh that was definitely there and i just felt very kind of accepted and i you know i've always felt kind of like a weirdo in any uh in any kind of a larger space but i think and even within other music scenes um i've felt like an outsider but i felt very accepted and and i think you know i don't want to speak for every queer person because i think i'm sure there's people in that scene that you didn't didn't always have a positive experience but at least for me it was it always felt friendly and always felt accepting and always felt like there was a sense of, you know, we're building this community where we're um, around the music. And it's obviously, I mean, it's not a queer community. It's a, it's a music community, but like queerness wasn't seen as this other thing to be um, kind of go like, what is that? Or, uh, or othered in a, in a sense. And uh, I, I've been in communities where it feels like the default is is always kind of established over and over as as straight and like it didn't feel like that and and i'd say that just for my experience in the bay area it just has a more i mean it's a it's it's known as a queer place and i I think that just just the nature of that kind of permeates almost every facet of it so i think that had a lot to do with it too has in in that particular sense has new england felt different because obviously that's the bay area is famously quite a queer friendly place yeah and i've i've no idea whether that's also true for for new england as well i'd say it is different yeah i'd say rural like i live in a very rural area now and it does i i, I feel definitely like more of an outside outsider if i want to present a little bit more uh, androgynously which sucks, but 
but at the same time, there are pockets with, you know, I live in Vermont and, but there are pockets within New England, like, um, Western Mass, for instance, which is only, you know, a couple hours away from where I live. That is like one of the most densely populated by queer people in the entire world is what I've been told. And that's awesome. And it, and I, even though I don't live in it, I feel a connection to it. And, uh, I'm kind of where I'm definitely more isolated than I was in the Bay area, just because Vermont doesn't really have a metal scene. Um, and, and the metal scene for us, I mean, COVID kind of ruined everything, um, right as we moved here. So we don't really know the scene as it were, but like the the pre COVID, it was very much more New Hampshire and Maine and Massachusetts. Um, and we're not directly a part of that. So it's a little different than when we were living in the Bay area. And it was like, we were really in the, in the center of it. So I can't speak to the music scene specifically, but just New England in general, and maybe just Vermont in general, it doesn't feel as, I don't know, it, it's strange to quantify because, you know, in, in the Bay Area, I would still get, you know, street harassment if I was dressing more androgynously, you know, being called slurs on the street or people just reading me as um a woman and and kind of saying shit but here or when i was there and i and that happened i still felt this sense of well i i had there's people here who have my back with this shit and i feel that less here and i don't I, you know it's hard to really speak to that and like what that if that's just the culture or if there are just less queer people here so it I have to think on that a little bit more, but I would, I would say overall, it is, it feels less queer friendly than the Bay, Bay area for sure. So in that sense, have you only got more reason than most to want COVID to piss off so that touring can start again, <laughs> so that you can yes. get into those spaces again? Yeah, it actually, I think there's this, I think there's a sense of like one thing that appeals to me about playing live is like, even if you feel as playing live as a queer person, even if I feel like maybe I'll play a venue and it it won't feel super queer friendly, won't feel super safe, but I'll have my bandmates, you know, I'll have touring, we'll have have people who are touring with us who kind of know the deal. And I'll still feel like, I think just the act of playing live music and kind of owning my queerness on stage, if you know, if you want to, call it that like that is empowering in and in of itself so just that yeah that's like one reason why i, I miss touring is because i don't have kind of that outlet of express because I, I in real life i'm very i'm not like i being queer and being trans is very is a important part of my identity but i don't have a lot of you know i'm just work i'm just going to work you know what i yeah. mean like i'm not i'm not like I'm like very like I'm living in a very rural area and I'm not much of a I'm not the kind of person in any circumstance that goes out and you know parties or or uh goes to bars or I don't you know I don't drink I'm I'm basically straight edge and so I'm 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 a very like introverted I like quiet queer I guess you could say yeah. um, so 
the music thing is like my one like I get to really own this aspect of myself and it feels empowering. I, I kind of hate that word empowering, but like, cause it's been so co-opted, but like that, that really is, it, it's just a way to own that part of my identity, I guess, and feel very in control of it. That's what I was going to ask. Cause it, it, I imagine if, particularly if you're like, it's your band, right? You're not just some, someone who's just playing in a mate's band. It's, it's your thing. Right. My imagination is that if you're, they're on stage playing your music to people who've come to see you the kind of the freedom to do what you feel is right must be more than any other aspect of of your life i would imagine yeah i think that's a really good way to put it is like you're ostensibly here to see this music and even if you're not like you are you're watching it and this is the show this is you know, this is my time to do what I want. Um, and so it's not like I'm super flamboyant or anything, but like, um, it just, yeah, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is, it is this kind of validating thing of, of, um, I get to be in control of that and, and really be who I want to be. And you, and music is kind of, uh, a vehicle for that in a way. I mean, that must be, Brilliant. I can't imagine how good that must feel. Moving, I hate to kind of mention it, but you mentioned the online thing and I've kind of, I've had my my rants about this, so I'm not going to kind of <laughs> tip in here. But mm-hmm. then don't reading the comments and, and kind of having to be very careful about what you, what involvement you give yourself online. Has that been at all a kind of a barrier to trying to, promote the band because obviously if you are a band you generally are expected to have an online presence unless you're some kind of small little bedroom black metal band which is cool but you know not for most people yeah so have you have you kind of had to limit what you do kind of to protect yourself at all mm, i wouldn't say so um i will i think a big part of it is i don't I'm, you know, I'm very open about being queer and trans and everything, but I don't think it's, it's like, it's just a part of the, it's just a piece of the band. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the the whole thing. I, I, we don't really lead with that. Um, and, you know, in the past, like, our, our second record especially was very focused on, like, uh, queer identity, specifically in the lyrics. So that was when I saw the most like don't read the comments type stuff. Um, yeah. But since, since we've sort of, you know, I always just write about what I feel like I need to get off my chest. And since that album, it's felt like, and since, uh, well, since that album kind of Donald Trump became president and, and fascism became uh, like this force in the world again, um, or like a mainstream force in the world again. <laughs> Not a historical context. It's, it's right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that became much more uh, like, I felt like that's what was on my mind most of the time. So it's, that's, and, and with the new record uh, for Body Void, the uh, environmental crisis has, that was kind of the focus. And, uh, so it's kind of it's sort of veered away from the more personal like queer identity stuff. So f- 
for the most part, like I haven't seen any, you know, like interviews and, and uh, press release type stuff hasn't really focused on the queer aspect. So there hasn't been much mention of it, which like, I guess that's, that's nice. Like, I mean, I don't want to ever feel like I'm, I'm I, like, I don't feel the need to protect myself in that way, I guess. Like if it, if it is going to be, if like the whole record is going to be about queer stuff, like I'm going to, I'm never going to like limit my, myself to what I feel like I can say to protect myself. And I feel, you know, there's probably some privilege in that, that I feel like I'm able to do that, but you know, it's all been just talk so far. It's never felt like I might be harmed or something. Yeah. Um, which you know, knock on wood. But in general, that must be that must be kind of a a positive sign because like if if there are lyrics to do with you know queer identity or any aspects of queer life, then obviously that's going to be something that's going to come up. But if that's not what you're doing, as as you're not on this album, then if people are not focusing on that, and that means that they are focusing on the music, right? It's like they're going, yeah, that's fine. We don't care about that. Let's just talk about the really good riffs and things like that. Is 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 that how you <laughs> yeah. is that how you see it? Because to me, that sounds like a positive. Yeah, I think so. I I don't, you know, I don't really know how to like quantify that aspect of the band. Like to me, it is really just about the the music and and the lyrics are kind of secondary and it's nice to not have to yeah i mean after after doing that second album that was very much about gender dysphoria and and stuff like that it's i guess it's like nice not to have to process that in a public forum you know what i mean yeah like i think there i think my thinking around that has changed since since doing that like uh, that doesn't you know for for me music is a way is an outlet but then it becomes this weird thing when you have to kind of do interviews about it and and people are coming to you to consume that aspect of it and it's just like well that's all fine and good you you have to have something to talk about but really what i want to talk what what i care about with the band is is the music is the the riffs and the and the heaviness <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. So it I think it is a positive for sure. But I will say like I remember that this this comment of like um when we released that second album, it did there were I did see, you know, was, I was reading more comments back then and like I did see people say like oh I hate I, I'm so bummed they had to do, you know, go in an SJW direction and 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 then people going like they're just you know they're just talking to their their experience and like so i definitely did see that stuff and i think it it speaks to how people consume them, this music which is they just consume it for the riffs and then that that added layer is like whatever to them and and some people will go i don't like that but i'm still going to listen to it anyway um which you know I don't have any say in that, I guess. So yeah. it's all it's all good. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of it's interesting that someone stuck up for you, because that's my kind of experience of 
online spaces in general, and obviously my experience is going to be very different to yours because the trans experience and the gay experience have some commonality, but there's an awful lot of things where I have certain privileges that other members of the LGBT community don't. But my experience is that a lot more people are willing to jump in now and say, yeah, don't say that, that's that's not right, than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's maybe that is kind of in a way a signpost of things starting to get better on on that front as well. Maybe that's just my <laughs> maybe Yeah, that's just I think me so. speculating. No, I think you're right. I definitely have seen more um like for instance, like even less in the uh the the comments of, you know, maybe our own music. I'm I'm part of like these uh guitar gear forums which are historically very just casually misogynistic for instance Mm. and i've been i've been part of these kind of communities for 20 years or 15 years or so and i've seen them get more like people would post just casually kind of not necessarily like hatred but like that kind of just you're kind of establishing that this this space is for men only and that it's a certain kind of man and a certain you know and i've seen a lot more pushback against that in recent years and i see that kind of everywhere in every um community i'm part of and i think that's nice because i i you know it's when it comes to our stuff and someone kind of saying you know oh sjw's i don't want to be the one to have to jump in and and you know i would never do that i would never engage with that but it's it's cool that i don't have to even that like my my i don't have to expend any mental energy on it either because someone else kind of had it and that that's really cool willow thank you very much i think that's just about me out of time but thank you this has been fantastic to talk to you absolutely great to talk to you too thank you again willow body voids amazing new album in my opinion Bury Me Beneath This Rotting Earth is out now. Uh, We will have another In My Kingdom Queer for you in about three weeks' time. We shamble wonkly into the Hate Crew Gay Bar. Uh, Matt, what's a good cocktail for after a really grim Doom show? Ooh, there is something, like, classic and... It's whiskey, isn't it? Uh, Let's go Manhattan. Manhattan. I, like Manhattan. I mm. really need to try Manhattan. I've never had one, but I've heard it really sounds like my kind of thing. Uh, so, so you'll have when the Hate Crew Gay Bar is finally able to open after lockdown measures, you'll have to make one. Anyway, as from last week's shows numbers, I can tell for definite we have picked up some new listeners again. Uh, I should probably explain what we're doing here. And by the way, if you're new, you're very welcome. Um. This is where we have set up a heavy metal gay bar and stacked the jukebox with all the obvious shit that you can think of. But to save everyone from just hearing endless plays of Back in Black and Zona, uh, we update it with music we're currently nuts about every week. Last week, we married some melodic metalcore with some black and speed metal, which probably was two albums that had more in common than the two things we're talking about this week do with each other. Matt, you've picked something that is not French again, so you must really like this one. What have you gone for? 
Uh, I've gone for Capra. So Capra are a four-piece from Louisiana, and this, in transmission, is their debut album. Uh, if you've heard it, uh, yes, we know it's not strictly metal, but we don't care. It's aggro, and it's hard as fuck, and personally, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, we've definitely had metal records on this show that are a lot less heavy and aggressive than this, so mm-hmm. fuck it. And the first song proper, Hollow Doll, starts like a black metal song, so, you know... Uh, in whole, the album could more fairly be described as hardcore punk, uh, really? riot girl sort of thing. <laughs> Definitely in the hardcore territory, isn't it? It's in your face. But there's also a lot of like mathy guitar parts and some decent every time I die sort of southern style groove. The lead single from this, The Locust Breacher, pretty much amalgamates all of those things I've just talked about and throws in some cheeky little blast beats. Tom, again, uh, just riffs in it. It is. I mean, on the let's start with Hollow Doll because you mentioned that where there's that big black metal riff. Did you find that really kind of confusing at the start? You think, oh, this is going to be a black metal record. Oh, hang on, it's now going in Hardcore. What's going on here? Did that take a few seconds to get used to for you? Um, well, I'd heard The Locust Preacher and the last song, Samurai Carey, uh, which, shout out, because that is the best song na- name ever. <laughs> that is a fucking great song title. <laughs> um, so I'd heard them, like, beforehand, uh, and, you know, they're both in the more sort of right girl punk type vibe. Uh, so yeah, when uh, Hollow Doll came in, I was very confused. <laughs> yeah, my one criticism of this album, it's a very brief one, is that I generally think that some of the biggest punches, like the biggest kind of taking you out of your comfort zone moments are right at the start and i'd kind of like them to be a bit spread out more because mm. it means the second half of the album i have to work just a little bit harder to tell the songs apart and that it's kind of it's a little bit less varied as a result that's a that's like i'm getting that out of the way because that's basically the only nasty thing i have to say the first three songs are so fucking brilliant that i can totally understand why they wanted them at the start uh, like medusa is brutal and that bit where it slows right down and she just shouts treated like a dog treated like shit that bit's amazing and i kind of the only criticism i have the whole record is that i want that later i want that to come in at the point i think i know what's going on and i'm suddenly forced right out of my comfort zone again but god it is really riffy it's really heavy and it's really in your face it takes you so far out of places that you're going to be comfortable and makes you pay attention yeah i've actually got that in my notes about medusa the sort of change of pace when they slow it down it feels like something they'd extend when they're playing it live and then it would just the whole room would explode when it drops back in Uh, it's great um some of the like chugging on it as well on this and the next song in fact torture ship is it just never lets you settle you know after a slow part it often kicks back into a scattergun riff and it's just really lively yeah, and it's it, it, though I've kind of said, I, you know, the really big punches are up front. That's not to say it's not hitting you in the face for the rest of the time and it's kind of lazy or anything like that. It's really hard in, and aggressive and the riffs are killer. The, the one thing that I have to admit is that it took me a few listens to get used to her vocals purely because her American accent is so clear and that any time you have a strong accent that isn't your own coming in and singing, it becomes a little bit jarring it's like when bring the horizon first you know when the metal crowds decided that actually they might be good after all everyone went he is very northern this is quite difficult to get used to <laughs> it's the same kind of thing right it's unless you are from sheffield or from louisiana this is probably a bit of a oh that's very noticeable and i don't know why the moment you realize oh it's because she's got a strong accent god her vocals are great yeah yeah they are i mean i love this sort of style of vocal anyway uh almost shouting and 
not exactly being in tune all the time, yeah. like following the rhythm sort of more than the melodies of the instruments. Yeah, I'm a bit of a sucker for that, but I know yeah, it won't be for for everyone. No, I mean it. it it's not meant to be though, is it? It's meant to upset no. you and and piss you exactly. off and make you have reaction and and like I really like that about it that it is completely confrontational. It is up there and right in your grill and saying you will have an opinion about this and I'm not going to yeah. let you sit on the fence. Which ties in with the lyrics as well. Yeah, um, I mean also. some of the lyrics all over this are fucking biting and brilliant. You know, yeah. we're not biting the hand that feeds. We're severing the one that makes us bleed. A sort of standout for me. Like the lyrics on this all over the shop are great. Yeah, the idea that this is debut as well. You think mm. like the tiny little things that I've said. Oh, they could just do that. Those are the things that would push this from being a really fucking great record to being for me an album of the year contender. Right? It's the, it's the quality is wow. that good but it's just kind of small things that i think oh if you just tweak mm. that and did that different next time like it, i hear that and go what are you gonna do next because if you can do this on album one album two could be fucking you know yeah exactly. great britain type thing right it's like when people heard the first album yeah, went, wow this is really good and then the second album, like holy fuck yeah, um, I, another shout out. I love some of the southern parts. Uh, my favourite song on this is Paper Tongs, which has a big dirty era every time I die riff, and the bounce at the end of that song is... And then um, there's a filthy riff in Transfiguration as well that sounds like Corrosion of Conformity. Yeah. Which is uh, not something I expected to hear here, but it's very good. No, it's fair, though. It's, it is, though, I, you mentioned Every Time I Die a few times, it's a lot less comfortable than Every Time I Die, right? And Every oh, yeah. Time I Die aren't an easy band to listen to. It's not like they're fucking, you know, airborne or something. But <laughs> at the same time, there's an awful lot more... It's an awful lot more accessible than this, which is yeah. why I like it. Right? <laughs> but whatever minor criticisms I, I might have, the genuinely fantastic In Transmission by Capra is in the jukebox now. My pick this week, after the absolutely no frills, very down-to-earth and straight-to-the-point hardcore we've just spoken about, is Multiversal, the second album from American sci-fi tech-slash-prog death metalers, The Beast of Nod. Um, before we get into what this is about, had you actually heard these guys before? Because the last album got some burbling noise in the death metal underground, but it, I was surprised they didn't get further. Um, No, and I was going to ask why I've not heard of this before. Uh, I mean... Not to sort of blow it all too early, but every single one of these musicians is a master at their craft. And I say I haven't heard of this band before. I really shouldn't use the word band. Have you read, like, do you know about this project as a whole? Because I was doing some research on it and it's like, this is a multimedia project, they call it. And this band is just its primary arm. I mean, their site is mental. They have like a whole encyclopedia page of the stuff that they've created. Yes, yes. I, no, I am aware of that. I'm, I will be lying if I said I'm vastly interested in the rest of it. I don't have any problem with it. It's just I'm going to always hone in on the music and go, okay, that other stuff is fine. Great. Enjoy yourself. Be creative. And I'm going to stick here with the fucking ridiculous widdly widdly. I, I, I was never quite sure why the last album didn't take off more than it did. I mean, it wasn't, as far as I'm aware, it wasn't really pushed by a label or anything. So it was it was sort of word of mouth, but there was an awful lot of people going, oh my God, have you heard this? But that will only get you so far. This one seems to have flown a bit under the radar. Yeah, I, I missed this completely. I barely heard that it was released and I just kind of randomly checked up on, I think their band camp or something and went, oh, there's this new beast, the Beast of Nod. I'll have to stick that on straight away and, sh and you know, lost my mind all over over again it's uh, this is even more space age and the, the bonkers than the first album though i think 
Yeah, um, this, for context as well, this came in the wake of a discussion between you and I about deathcore and the like, so you told me this with your pick and said, the beasts of Nod are not deathcore, and I was thinking to myself, you know, the bastard, that's exactly what someone who's trying to trick me into listening to deathcore would say. Well, to be fair, you were correct. Yeah, this um, is definitely not, not deathcore. deathcore. <laughs> what it is, is pretty good, I really like this. Oh, good, because uh, it's always the kind of thing where a lot of people are just going to go, no, nah, this is not for me, because there is more noodle than every single branch mm-hmm. of Wagamama combined, right? <laughs> there is a lot of lead guitar playing, and it's very it's very virtuoso. But it yeah. isn't... The thing that I love about it is that it is focusing more on being totally ludicrous and OTT rather than it is just, I'm going to run up and down frets an awful lot. It's trying to create an atmosphere more than it is just, look at me, I can play yeah. really fast and in complex time signatures. Yeah, I mean, I did have to laugh when I saw that this was described on their YouTube page of it as intergalactic death metal. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw that it features Joe Satriani, so I was very yeah, confused oh, God, as to yeah. what this was going to be. Uh, however, yeah, listening to it, that makes complete sense. It is very <laughs> yeah, right? virtuoso. Like, there's a hell of a lot going on. We were talking last week about the lead guitars on the While She Sleeps record, <laughs> and then this comes along and it's like, hmm. <laughs> Makes them sound like ACDC. Uh, yeah, no, no offense to while she sleeps, but this is kind of <laughs> this is very much. It's like someone who's really good at driving a, the star in the reasonably priced car and Top Gear, and then you know, it's a very old reference now, but it's it's like that and the and difference between that and Lewis Hamilton. You know, one <laughs> really quite impressive. The other one, literally staggeringly good. Very few people can do this at all. It's so dizzying and exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this sort of thing generally usually leaves me pretty cold. Like, not that I dislike it. I just often will put something like this on and go, yeah, it's very impressive, but it doesn't usually collect, connect with me on a deeper level than that, and I end up turning it off after 15 minutes. Um, I didn't get that with this at all. There are parts of this, sonically, that sort of feel like what the design abstract were trying to do, that album that you brought in a few months ago, but it's just been nailed here. Like, the orchestral and piano flourishes really sort of bring everything together well and a lot of the songs are really weird structurally but none of them really outstay their welcome i mean i like do you think they listen to jazz (laughs) yeah i think they probably might um i like riffs as well in it but like the leads we've spoken about but the riffs there's so many juicy riffs here as well that only get played a couple of times too that a lot of bands will turn into a whole song but they just throw them in there randomly and then just move on it's fucking brilliant yeah it, like that you do need to listen to it a lot to get the most mm-hmm. out of it because the, just because there are so many ideas it's not that it's yeah. actually that difficult to understand because it's it's mostly look we're gonna take you on a journey throughout space and bend your mind which is the moment you realize oh that's what they're doing it's very easy just to go with it but i hate shred for shred's sake right my favorite mm-hmm. metal guitarist is alex skolnick because he doesn't do that it's because he will play slower and with character even though he could play incredibly fast, he knows it's that's not very good. So I'm h- quite hard to impress with Shredhead records. There are not many Steve Vai songs that I'm willing to listen to all the way through, right? <laughs> and most of the ones that I am involve um, Devin Townsend on vocals because he discovered Devin Townsend back in the day. But like this is doing the opposite. It's saying mm. we're going to create this ridiculous atmosphere where we're going to tell these amazing sci-fi tales. and. Yeah. And here we go. And it's like the Joe Satriani solo just kind of comes in and is amazing and leaves. And it's not just someone showing off. It's No, exactly. It, it, there's a purpose to it all. I think that's why it's it's kind of, it hooks me so quickly because I'm mm. just absolutely drawn into the, the world they're trying to create. 
Yeah, I think my favourite song on this is uh, Intergalactic War. I mean, the beginning of that song has tremolo, almost black metal picking in one ear, and in the other it has a completely polyrhythmic, bouncy riff, then proceeds to go into another, like, 20 riffs in about 10 seconds. I mean, I don't understand how this is such an earworm. This record is catchy, and it has absolutely no right to be. It's still growing on me as well, which is what I love about it. There's so much going on here that it really does need a few listens, I think, but I am going to continue listening to this record for quite some time, because I'm still getting more out of it each time. Yes, I definitely recommend it. I really like that one as well. My favorite now, though, is Unleashing Chaos, I think, which, again, is kind of, it's a change, it's halfway through the record, and then it really changes the pace, and it, it, mm. it creates quite a different atmosphere to what you've come before, and it kind of wakes you up and goes, right, here we are. And every time I hit that song, I was like, oh, this is really good. Which song is, oh, yeah, that's my favorite one, yeah. And, yeah, I, I love it. It's just fun. Like, for all the fact that it's mm. stupidly technical, it's fun. I mean, one of the songs is about a squirrel. So Yeah, that's pretty genius. Uh, but before we, it makes us dizzy, we should probably move on to um, from Multiversal by The Beast of Nod. Uh, it's in the jukebox now, but we recommend against picking songs from it while wearing very high heels. Uh, we will have more tunes for the jukebox, though, next week. We finish, as usual, on a camp classic. This is where we take a work of heavy metal that spoke to us as queers and explain why. This week, we're going back to 1980 and the heyday of the new wave of British heavy metal and probably the most celebrated album from the metal gods themselves, Judas Priest. Because we're talking about the anthemic Living After Midnight from British Steel. Uh, I think we've... I know we've spoken about Rob Halford before on the pod, Matt, but I don't think I've actually asked you your feelings on Priest themselves. Are you you a proper Priest fan? A proper like I fucking love Priest, um, but I wouldn't be able to sort of like name their different albums and songs because they're one of those bands that have so much material. I often just like put their entire discography on shuffle. So, it, yeah, it took me a long time to go from being someone who like liked the greatest hits. To being someone who actually goes, no, I have opinions on that record and that record and that yeah. record because they have been so prolific. Yeah, I've heard probably like all their songs, but I'm not sure I've listened to a lot of the albums in full, so I, I don't know like which songs belong on which albums, that sort of thing. But I've not really found much that I've disliked. No, I mean, uh, what I would suggest actually is that there are some of the like less loved albums that are worth a go because diff- although like everyone thinks of of Turbo and Ram It Down as being like their you know. Uh, no prayer for the dying, which is kind of third rail. Don't touch it. But there are loads of people, including myself, who listen to them and go, "No, they're great. They're, there's lots to enjoy there." So you might actually uh, find more there to enjoy. And particularly those two I just mentioned, Innuendo Cities. Like, <laughs> there's so many really double entendre song titles. I will admit, though, not even I didn't like the Ripper era very much, or the first album, the first two albums actually they did with Rob back. The last two, though, I've loved both Firepower. Yeah, the last two are fucking great. Yeah, Redeemer of Souls as well. I thought was was great, but Firepower, everyone, everyone loved Firepower. Yeah. Um, Where do you stand on 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 Living After Midnight? By the way, as we're doing the song, I should ask you your opinion on this because it is it is a divisive number. I I really like it. It's more straight back isn't it it's sort of more um straight up i guess but yeah I, I fucking love it it's it's very much a kind it's you know it's the point that rock rock and metal start to overlap and it's just yeah. a big fucking hit and it's like great if you see them live and they do it near the end uh, i saw this with uh i think it was at hellfest i saw them with steve hill from uh riot act 
and he nearly ruined the song for me because he pointed out that it's at the right at the end of the night when Rob's a bit knackered. So he gets the crowd to do a lot of the singing. So it's not, it's kind of living <laughs> till the dawn and just like that. And it's kind of, it's like you only get a few words here and there and then the rest of it's him pointing the mic at the audience and getting them to do it, which is actually quite funny if you see it. But it's, it's I love Rob Halford for that moment. It's like, I'm too knackered to sing now because I've been on for fucking ages and I'm over 60. You can do some work. <laughs> on to why it's camp though. Uh, where the hell do we fucking start? Mm. Yeah, quite a lot to discuss here. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to pick pick one of your ideas first? And I'll I'll come in with mine, and we'll see how far we get. Sure. Um. So it's the whole biker gay thing, isn't it? Um. The song is on a surface level about you know motorbikes and stuff like that, but that whole thing, the biker gay thing, is a scene within you know a lot. The gays, I think we're referred to as. Now. <laughs> Um, it's it's ironic that we used to be referred to as the gays by a lot of people who don't like us, and a load of us went. Actually, that's quite funny. Could we steal it? And I'm definitely yeah. one of them. Not everyone, but um, and if you're not one of us, probably don't use it. People might get the wrong idea. If you are a lot, hey, great fun. I kind of the biker gay thing is one thing, which is kind of the most obvious thing, and it's it is definitely a scene. It's a very particular one though, because it's kind of. It's a bit midlife crisis gay. It's like guy who who's been married with kids decides he wants motorbikes and just finds there's this whole scene out there and oh actually no I don't like women anymore and I just realised that that's I've never liked it and that's kind of that's a thing that happens right. Yeah, that's what the Grand Theft Auto games are about, isn't it? Really, <laughs> You're, I wouldn't know. It's a, <laughs> I kind of stopped playing them when I was about twenty-one, which is quite a long time ago now. So I have totally lost track of what they're like now. Is that what they're basically <laughs> about? I mean, that's how I play them. <laughs> I just, I just like because you can make your own outfit and whatever, can't you? I'm like, I will dress up as a biker gay and get the most incredible, over-the-top motorbike that I can and go to all of these clubs. And yeah, that's how I play it. Oh, okay. The game I like to play like that is um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, because you can play as either a male or female, and there are partners who will only sleep with you depending on what your gender is, and a lot of them aren't same uh purely heterosexual in fact there's mm. one like a primarily gay character who you're given the option to shag uh who's one of the quite a main character and i like kind of went around uh ancient greece basically shagging everything that we because <laughs> i just went right my character is going to be turbo slut of ancient greece there is going yeah. to there is going to be you know no bottom left untopped and it was kind of yeah that's i love doing that i love games like that where it's like you're playing them and you know that Okay, this isn't what the developers had in mind for me to be doing. Yeah, this is what I'm gonna fucking do. Oh yeah, this is this character is not what you intended because it's like <laughs> it's clear that that's not what they want you to do. And I'm like, okay, let's try. Anyway, uh, uh, moving on from you know absolutely power bottoming our way around uh, ancient Greece uh, or clubs in Liberty City. Is that the city in Grand Theft Auto? Uh, there's a few, but yeah, that's one of them. Liberty City, San Andreas, what's the other one? Is it Vice City? Uh, Vice City. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Anyway, that is definitely a valid point. I personally first thought of this one really long time ago, because at the exact point I started listening to Judas Priest. In fact, the first time I heard it, I didn't like this, because I was kind of coming in from hardcore, so was kind of wanting to be shouted at, so I was much more interested <laughs> in breaking the law than this. But anyway, the first time I heard this, I saw was almost exactly the same time I first saw Queer as Folk. Uh, and yes, I was definitely too young to watch Queer as Folk. 
we'll talk about that particular series another time but a, a lot of what i was hearing in the lyrics is also what i was seeing on screen if you have even the slightest understanding of metaphor and i at the time i even though rob had been out for about six months i didn't know that he was gay yet so but i still read this line and went hello this sounds like you know off to canal street uh, which I took the city about 1am, loaded, loaded, I'm all geared up to score again, which if you know what the <laughs> gay scene is like and you know, know queer as folk, yeah, there's quite a lot of drugs involved. So that kind of line makes it clear. And then, you know, I come alive in a neon, no, not a neon light, that's where I make my moves right. Right, that's a club, right? That says, oh, yeah. that's definitely a club. That's not just someone driving around town. And I kind of went, is the singer actually talking about going out and, and going to gay clubs? Which, of course, he almost certainly was. Yeah, it's interesting because I um, should have researched, but I didn't know uh, exactly when Rob had come out in um, the relation to this song. I think it was 1998 that he came out. Or am I making shit up now? Yeah, it was 1998. I'm not, I'm not making shit up. So he wasn't out when this song was released? Uh, not, by, not by 18 years. Yeah, that's that's mental, isn't it? <laughs> Between this song coming out, I was born, had most of my childhood, and was dealing with my sexuality, and kind of was way more interested in this TV show involving three gay men that I I really was quite comfortable with. So you know, that's mm. how long there was between the two events. That seems insane because obviously, to me, you know, the first time I heard this song, I you know you know rob came out then a year after i was born so i've always known that that was the thing but i think it must have been so weird hearing this song at the time because i can't look past how you could see this as anything other than <laughs> what we think it's about and the fact that he wasn't out is mental yeah it's it's like at some point i'm gonna have to find someone who is much older than us to talk to about this but the problem is mm. there aren't for for a number of reasons there aren't that many older metal gaze for one because the stigma at that time was just so much stronger but also because there is you know a significant section of of that generation died of AIDS it's just the reality unfortunately that there is this enormous volume of people who aren't here to tell us their stories because they died but I want to know at the time were people just so naive about gay existence and gay life that they would not have heard this and heard the things which we immediately went gay or did everyone hear it and think that? Because if you've seen anything of heavy metal parking lot, it seems pretty clear that Judas Priest fans had no idea. Yeah, which yeah, that just seems insane to me because every, I mean, everything about them, and you know, especially, like, and that's why I think it's hard to maybe separate ourselves from it because obviously we are, you know, in that LGBT sort of scene. But I, I can't even think of being heterosexual and like looking at this or hearing this or looking at a lot of what Priest did before Rob came out and not realizing, oh shit. That's well gay. <laughs> yeah, I, you say that. I completely agree. The problem is that I have an awful lot of trouble imagining being heterosexual <laughs> because it's just such an alien concept to me. And like, like it's what part of the reason this show exists, right? Is that I got so frustrated with seeing all these things that I went, just everyone must see that that's really gay, right? And that's you know, even if it's clearly written by a gay dude, everyone must see that this specific song is about this specific gay thing, right? And it just was apparent that loads of people just went right over my head. 
and like this song is is right up there with the prime things that mean meant the camp classic as a as a concept came into being because it's it's so obvious to us right it can't be anything else because yeah. i will like you said gay clubs cruising all that sort of thing it's like you introduced me to the george michael outside video a few months oh ago. god that's um, magic Oh, yeah, it's this, so good. this song sort of conjures up images of what's going on in that for me as well. Yeah. Oh, God. It's and yeah, it, this is kind of it's like that, but 20 years earlier. Yeah, exactly. I have a vivid memory of being maybe 19, 20 and kind of very kind of deeply internally homophobic and trying to, to battle it because I kind of I consciously knew it was wrong that I didn't want to be that way still hadn't quite accepted that I was gay and was really fighting that shit and having increasing number of friends come out. And I remember having a conversation with one of my friends who'd just come out, who was talking about how worried he was about what his life was going to be like because he was he really had no interest in drugs and really thought drugs were really dangerous and also wasn't really interested in picking up a nasty STI and was really scared of the scene because casual sex and particularly unprotected casual sex and drugs were so much of what he knew of the scene. Now, I kind of lost touch with him for a bit, so I don't know if that was actually his experience, but my imagination is he must have seen plenty of that, even if he wasn't involved in it himself, because I definitely know that that's the thing. And that the moment I start hearing, you know, that line about, you know, loaded, loaded, I'm all geared up to score again, and you know, it, coming alive in a neon light, just to me sounds an awful lot like what everything I've heard about the 1980s, really. Yeah, man, it is like there is still that going on. I think we've spoken off air before as well. Like casual sex, unprotected sex, drugs do still have a link with a lot of like gays and a lot of gay clubs, and it can for someone who doesn't like that it can be quite intimidating, I guess, and quite uncomfortable. So it's a fine balance, I think, for this song of like, oh yeah, that's cool, but it's not going to be cool to everyone, you know? No. People, including myself, like, I had no interest in any of that at all, and it was partly why I kind of, I struggled with trying to work out who I was, because I went, well, that's of no interest to me, so what do I do? And this song kind of reminds me so much of that. The other thing, though, that it reminds me of, to move on slightly... A lot of the life gay folks lead often takes place, at least for a period of their lives, often takes place not necessarily after midnight, but at night, right? Because it's when you're at home or when you're at if you you're out in a gay village, because this this is why gay villages exist. It's the time when you're not forced to kind of straight wash yourself or to pass or to recloset yourself. You can be open and you can be free in a way that you couldn't be at work or in my case, the time relevant to, to me at this time is, is school. It was, you know, I, I certainly was quite conscious of not appearing gay at school. And in many cases, people often can't be out to their own family. So being kind of in your room where you might be able to you know, talk to someone online to say, oh, I'm really struggling and, and be yourself and, and kind of talk openly. That can sometimes be the, the first place that you're out after dark and with the moment i hear kind of living after midnight that does kind of remind me of various stories that i have heard and even a couple of things that i've experienced for myself of yeah. of gay life yeah it's sad isn't it because like i said it, it's sort of a double life that you're leading and i guess sort of touching on cruising as well like that's why 
that was such a big thing or still is a sort of fairly big thing in the gay scene because it's people who often can't be out properly and can't be themselves and they have to sort of like be stealthy and sneak around so that they don't get found out and obviously you know getting found out back 30 years ago was a lot worse than it would be today from in most cases but that's i guess where that's all come from as well yeah and you see it on dating apps all the time well i say dating apps hookup apps all the time yeah. right? you go on grinder or scruff there are loads of discreet people still yeah. you know there's some people who are just like yeah i'm gay i'm out to shag what really high number of, of discreet bi guys i've noticed that it's really clear that there are loads of bi men out there who really want sex with men but have for whatever reason no ability to make that clear in public because they go yeah. completely discreet on apps like this and it's kind of yeah. only from the he- from the neck down that you see their profiles <laughs> yeah i've heard like i said i think we've i think i've told you before i've never actually been on grinder um but don't no that's exactly because i keep getting told not to because it's horrible and yeah but i have a, all those stories as well that there's so many sort of discreet people there yeah and you know it's it's clear that whether it's for social reasons or religious reasons or for safety reasons and you know often it would just be because someone's got homophobic family it's mm. not for any because there's any particular ideology behind it, but just because someone's mum or dad goes, oh, gays, no. And particularly, as we've said before, there's always someone who's absolutely obsessed with anal sex and finds it really icky, and that's their objection. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I think the last thing probably that I have to say about this is sort of linked to how it sounds as well, musically. It's very bombastic. It's very joyous, which obviously you don't get a lot in metal. And with the sort of some of the lyrical themes as well, I feel this is a song to say, yeah, fuck, this is who I am, and it's about loving yourself, sort of thing, like find, like accepting who you are, you know. Yeah, and for someone who was as deeply in the closet as Rob must have been in nineteen eighty, that must have been incredibly important. But I think that's probably all we have for living after midnight. Well, there's one more line. Um, it also features the line "My body's coming all night long," which you know, uh, gotta gotta put that in there as well, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we sort of do. Okay, that's <laughs> fair enough. Um, that is pretty gay, but of course, at the time, that would have been you know the thing that the woman in heavy metal mm. parking lot was thinking. I jump his bounds. Um, not that I can do a southern accent at all, <laughs> but anyway, nope. Uh, uh, that now I think is is all we have on on living after midnight. Uh, we will have a very very different camp classic for you next week, and that's unfortunately all we have time for this week. Uh, I don't know about you, mate, but I've had a much better time this week than last. Yeah, yeah, good fun that. And next week, not only a different camp classic, we also have a new feature which I'm fucking stoked for. I could almost say staked for. Yes, you could. You shouldn't, <laughs> but you could. <laughs> Uh, I think you have, though. Um, we would let you work out what the hell he's talking <laughs> about. Or should that be the hell mouth what he's talking about? See hey. what I did there? Hey. Uh, yeah, if you think yours was bad, I've got much worse. Uh, anyway, excellent. I'm glad we've had a much better time. We're excited for next week. But don't forget that that will be a little bit later than usual. Until then, though, listen to Body Void, listen to Capra, listen to The Beast of Nod, and remember, it does get better. Goodbye. Later. To the dawn. Till the morning. Stop it. <laughs>